Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced Global Cosmetics News. 2020's global pandemic presented the tactile and hospitality-focused professional beauty sector with a never-before-seen dilemma, complete closure of salons and spas. Despite these challenges, brands, salon and spa owners, as well as their employees, have shown admirable displays of agility. However, with a global recession looming and consumer buying habits changing fast, how can the professional industry sector take its learning from lockdown into 2021 and beyond? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel. Claire Varga, Head of Beauty at WGSN, and Mallory Huron, Beauty Editor at Fashion Snoops. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Let's start with you, Claire. So what are the main social drivers moving the professional industry forward across Europe in 2021? Well, in amongst all the turmoil and trauma of the last 18 months, I think the beauty industry has really found a new purpose and standing, supporting our health services, but also helping people maintain their own physical and mental well-being. I mean, I think everyday self-care and beauty rituals have, have been a real anchor for people. They've been a way of, of coping and providing structure and escapism. Um, and as things are starting to open up again, I think we've got a real new appreciation of beauty and beauty services. And it's really highlighted how important self-care and self-image is to our own you know, mental and physical well-being. Um, and, and that gives a huge opportunity, I think, going forward for a professional beauty. In terms of how this is going to drive and influence the services and treatments that consumers are seeking out, you know, health and safety, health and hygiene, sorry, uh, will be a key uh, priority. It sort of goes without saying after what we, we're going through. Um, and that's going to heavily influence treatments and, and, and professional beauty. Um, I think in a, a recent survey by uh, Foreo, they found that 60, just over 60% of people said they feel uncomfortable still about going to the spa post-COVID and 83% they were said they were still cautious about the level of hygiene in beauty salons. So this is a big thing that, uh, you know, uh, businesses are going to have to tackle. But they're already finding lots of ways to allay uh, 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 these sort of fears that consumers have. So we can expect to see things like shorter flash treatments, um, hands-free hands treatments such as Elemis's uh, no-touch facial that they've just introduced at their London flagship store. But even things like self-treatments where visitors actually sort of follow a prescribed circuit of a spa and they sort of self-administer their treatments and products as they go, which sort of turns the whole thing into sort of a more learning interactive experience. Um, and hygiene concerns are also going to influence the design of the spas and the salons that we visit. So Barbara Sturm's uh, London spa that she's just opened um, is, is very much designed to communicate a safe, hygienic place. It's not clinical. It's still very warm and inviting and comforting. But we're going to see a lot more of that coming through in terms of design. Um, health is obviously another huge uh, key consumer driver and there's a huge appetite for treatments um, that boost wellness and support immunity. Um, I think one of my favourite, the unbelievably luxurious Shah Wellness Clinic in Alicante in Spain, um, 
if you are lucky enough to go there, you have to go through 24 hour screening beforehand, you get a medical examination on arrival, but they very much refocused all their treatments on immunotherapy. So guests get a lymphocyte profile, um, they get an assessment of their immune system, um, and then the treatments are uh, uh, sort of planned around that. And, and that's very much, you know, what we're gonna see a lot more of anything that really supports our health and wellness. But of course, after you know the last eighteen months, there's a lot of um, uh, you know people are feeling a lot of trauma. So we're going to see a lot of healing um, uh, sort of treatments coming through as well. And they're going to start to go much more mainstream. So holistic treatments designed to address trauma, anxiety that a lot of the people are currently feeling. Hygiene, health, and healing are they the drivers in North America, Mary? Absolutely. I, I echo a lot of those points, you know, about hygiene, nutrient rich, healing uh, services and spas. And, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I think in spite of or perhaps because of all of these at home waxing, dye jobs, DIY haircuts, manicures, spa nights and so on, consumers are really ready to return to salons to have these services performed on them. As relaxing and as ritualistic as self-care can be, it can also be tiresome, especially if you're attempting to do something on yourself that takes time or skill or equipment that you just simply don't have. And while self-reliance is good and was a huge trend that we tracked all throughout lockdown, I think the healing communal aspect of professional beauty treatments and being in a professional beauty setting is something we'll continue to flock to. Certainly, we're seeing a huge rush for consumers to emerge from our long lockdown, a better, somehow more beautiful version of ourselves that is definitely at odds with the healing and recovering from trauma aspect that we're also hearing and tracking right now. But professional beauty treatments are key to that. I recently read an article about the shift um, in which a U.S. register of aesthetic professionals saw a 37% increase in searching for non-surgical so-called tweakments like mini Botox or mini filler. So it's kind of like everyone wants this beautiful glow up makeover coming out of lockdown, but they don't want to quite look like they've had too much done or put too much thought into it. And then another interesting aspect of this conversation that I considered were there the big shift between um, opportunities and resources available for those seeking a career in professional beauty and how you know, young people's perception of a career in professional beauty is going to change with the economic impacts of the pandemic. Organizations like the Professional Beauty Association or nonprofit Beauty Changes Lives are helping to cultivate and guide young talent across the professional beauty industry. There's been a real generational change of mind where the traditional high school to college to nine to five career is being questioned and rejected by many, especially young people in Gen Z who see successful beauty professionals on social media all the time as an attainable and even glamorous looking life path. So I think we're going to have a lot more young people interested in perhaps instead of attending college or university, looking into a career in the professional beauty sector. And this will align with consumers wanting to come back and really have the, the indulgence of these services that we've missed so much. And talking Gen Z, Claire, what digital drivers are helping the professional industry's growth in Europe? Um, well, I think a, a good mantra ongoing is uh, tech with everything. Um, we have 
because you know the last few months we've become uh, so reliant on tech and and really realized how beneficial digital tech and, and beauty tools are it's really broken down a lot of the resistance that all consumers not just gen z have to tech and they're a lot more comfortable with it and they're a lot more educated on the benefits and i think these are very sticky behaviors so they're, they're going to carry on so things like virtual consultations you know diagnostic smart mirrors and apps that we've relied on are going to become very much embedded in professional beauty and our treatments ongoing so um, it, it's generally going to be a lot more tech based when we're in our spas and salons um, I, things like the the biohacking orb which has just launched recently uh, which is this sort of this lovely globe and it provides this touchless self-administrated uh, wellness treatment that uses scent and light and sound are going to be a lot more common and people are going to be a lot more um, open to those but I think tech also offers a lot of escapism um, and that that's been something that we've really craved and uh, I think one of my favorite things that I've seen is a virtual rea reality pedicure which you know allows you to lie back and choose to have your pedi on a beach or on a quiet mountainside or, or in a dark cave if you so choose so there's a there is a real escapism um, aspect to it as well um, to Mallory's point, though, I think, you know, our reliance on um, tech and actually seeing ourselves on screen all the time is also really shaping the demand for treatment. So, um, you know, as she mentioned, we've we've seen a huge increase of um, uh, demand for treatments for jaw treatments, uh, particularly around so-called so jack and uh, tech neck. Um, and just seeing our faces all the time, we're not used to looking at ourselves this much. So there's a lot of demand for treatments and things that will make us just look a little better on screen. And interestingly, men in particular have had a huge increase in interest in this. And um, I think that just being in lockdown, the pandemic has, has uh, allowed men to explore online a lot more treatments and products. And they're now going to take this forward and actually seek them out in terms of um, uh, in terms of professional beauty as well. But I would, one caveat to that as well, we also need to escape our tech as well. And one thing that we're seeing is that a lot of salons and spas are offering EMF blocking. So you can't use any devices in there. So you get a total digital detox, as well as, you know, detoxing physically and mentally. So it, it's a double-sided, a double-edged sword, I guess. And is digital transforming the North American landscape, Mallory? Absolutely. And, you know, obviously social media has been a game changer for professional beauty. How many of us, for example, go into a salon and show the stylist what we had in mind by flipping through Instagram or Pinterest for inspiration from manicure or hair color, for example. But that said, the digital drivers behind professional beauty is about more than just the ability to reference the work of others or even just follow new trends. It's about technology innovations and how apps can help foster a sense of collective communal creativity. On the technology front, across the pond, we saw tech giant Amazon open up its first salon in London, which, if successful, is set to revolutionize salon services worldwide uh, with what Claire mentioned, the tech everywhere angle. So Amazon salon has seamless tech integration into the salon experience, like an AR mirror, where consumers can experiment with their look pre-service point and learn digital product technology that shows a range of information on different products available for purchase, fire tablets at every station, and QR code full accessibility, which may prove to be commonplace in a few years' time at most salons. 
And, you know, in terms of treatments, I think mirroring what Claire said, I think blue light certainly has become a huge concern. We were kind of unsure as whether it was going to really have staying power as a trend going forward. But I think the pandemic and our increased exposure to screens has opened our eyes to how damaging this invisible threat is. And studies have shown that you know, the closer you sit to your screen, the worse the inflammation becomes and the longer you sit in front of your screen, for example, a standard eight hour workday uh, has a tremendously detrimental effect on your skin and your premature aging. So I think there will be a real demand for these you know, digital aging solutions. But also continuing the digital conversation, TikTok remains a massive influence and really its impact on the beauty industry and in all aspects of it cannot be understated. I'm seeing beauty professionals use their accounts to educate consumers about salon etiquette, what to look for in a salon experience, especially in this new reality of COVID with hygiene, explore new trends, and also just really delve into the fun and experimental aspect of beauty and beauty treatments to really create a more understanding and educated relationship between the service provider and the consumer through this digital app. And Claire, what are the key environmental drivers aiding and abetting the professional industries reopening throughout Europe? Well, environmental and social sustainability are a top priority for the industry as well as consumers. Um, consumers are now holding businesses accountable um, in the same way that they do their brands and the way we've seen growing over the past uh, couple of years. Um, you know, increasingly, uh, in the same way they look to the products and brands that they buy, consumers are questioning a business's carbon footprints. They're questioning the resource usage, especially around water. They're questioning uh, the product choices that they uh, choose to use in their treatments, as well as uh, calling businesses out for a lack of inclusivity or diversity or, or, or not doing enough social activism. So in, in the UK, beauty brand Heckles, who Heckles is just you know, an amazing brand who are really sort of at the forefront of um, sustainable beauty. Um, they have a, a store out in Margate uh, where they basically use... Um, local seaweed that's harvested from the beach to um, create their products. They've just opened their second store in London um, and it has a treatment room. Um, it is just a beautiful space, uh, natural vegan products, but it also features um, an event space where there's a living area where they're actually growing spirulina, spirulina to use in it, its products. It's really focused on community and the next sort of initiatives that they're looking at are even using, uh, creating stove that sort of uses uh, coffee grounds from a local roastery. So they're really, really looking at their environmental impact. I also mentioned, you know, uh, resource scarcity being a big issue and obviously water consumption, as I, as I said, is a huge issue. And earlier this year at CES, we saw L'Oreal uh, launch their, their water saver, which is um, a sustainable healthcare system that's designed for salon, salon and beauty use. And it's, it's really um, an amazing environmental innovation um, that saves water, but also enhances the actual experience um, and the efficiency uh, through the technology that they use. And this is, all this is really part of um, the, a bigger trend, which, which we call skinimalism. Um, it's one of our biggest trends for 2021. We even named one of our consumer um, personas after it. Um, and it, it's really something that's been adopted by everyday consumers and is also spreading into professional beauty. 
it's really about reducing waste and overconsumption by focusing on potency and eff uh, efficacy and, and using personalization. So in short, it's about um, using better but less to achieve the same results. And in the US market, Mallory, better for less? Is that resonating? Yes. Definitely. We're, we're also tracking the skinimalism trend. And it's interesting how it you know applies to the sustainability conversation that we've been having. And we're really seeing some interesting changes in terms of sustainability in salons. Two words which not so long ago was not a connection that consumers would have thought to make. But consumers, beauty industry watchdogs, and service providers alike are recognizing how unsustainable and harmful many salon practices are, not only for the earth, but also for the health and well-being of manicurists, hairdressers, estheticians, and more. Accounts like Estee Laundry and writer Jessica DeFino are working to advocate for better sustainability practices within salons and bringing consumer attention and awareness to these vital issues, like the effects of toxic chemical fumes or chemical disposal. You know, going into this new normal, I, I think the mono is really question everything, which is something that we've seen consumers really adopting over the past few years. They want to learn about, you know, what salon are they going to? What are their recycling practices? Is, you know, what products are they using? Are they sustainable? Are they eco-friendly? And there's just an intensive level of research into anything consumers are looking to put their money behind because to them, they see it as an endorsement of their values and their ethics system. We also love the idea of the CES um, L'Oreal's Water Saver, which reduces uh, water use by 80%, which is pretty remarkable for a salon. But in addition to just conserving resources, I think waterless products in general, like powders, are a dual-fold solution in that they're not only hygienic and speak to the hygienic aspect of it, and they can also help preserve actives longer, but they can also be mixed and tailored to different client preferences and ultimately also save water. We're also loving what Green Circle Salons is doing to positively impact environmental change within professional beauty settings. For example, they help salons recycle and repurpose up to 95% of their waste, build business and gain eco-conscious followers through environmental initiatives, and also save money and resources for the salon itself through eco-friendly technologies. What's great about organizations like Green Circle Salons is that eco-conscious consumers are really looking to support these businesses that align with their sustainability ethics. And these beauty professionals naturally want to get the business of eco-friendly consumers. We keep hearing about a green recovery to the pandemic, whether or not it will play out is you know, anyone's guess. But I think in a way, this is one avenue where going green can really help you earn green in terms of getting your salon back on track by appealing to this new market of eco-conscious consumers. And talking getting your salons back on track, Claire, what are European governments doing to help kickstart the professional beauty industry sector's rejuvenation in Europe? Well, not enough would be my first response. But um, I think, as I said at the beginning, you know, wellness and self-care has really moved up government agendas now. They've, they've really understand, understood the benefit um, that there is to, to, to it as an industry. Um, so there's a much greater focus on wellness for all, on democratising wellness and making sure that um, 
you know, uh, wellness is actually accessible to everybody. I touched uh, very briefly earlier on diversity and inclusivity. So there's a much greater demand for better training and a wider um, focus in terms of the products that, uh, and services that people can offer. Um, there's still a very sort of Eurocentric sort of um, uh, approach and aesthetic that's uh, taken on through treatments. And I think that's something that we're starting to see governments address. Um, and, and that's and, and there's a much more funding coming through for, for training and um, actually opening up and making things more inclusive. Um, I think one of the interesting things that's happened in the in the UK recently is the is the filter ban. Um, and that's a ban on using misleading filters in ads and by influencers. There has been uh, a lot of research done and there's a lot of a huge concern about the mental effects of these sort of images that are having on young uh, men and women. And it's definitely part of a, a bigger shift. Um, again, as Mallory touched on, there's a, a shift to a more natural beauty. And I think for many people the pandemic and the various lockdowns have sort of broken their beauty cycle in a way and their reliance on these treatments and having to go back for more and more and I think there's a, an opportunity uh, for beauty professionals to take up this cause and focus on more positive messaging and more you know a, a healthier approach to looks and and less about focusing on what's wrong and fixing things and really changing the language of what they're doing. And the Biden administration, Mallory, how are they helping to kickstart the professional beauty sector in North America? Well, certainly the uh, recent care package did help, but we've seen massive challenges to the professional beauty sector due to COVID-19. The regulations and lockdowns that affected spas and salons across the U.S. were extreme. And while governmental assistance, which has been delivered in a few waves, has helped some small businesses stay afloat. We're still seeing calls for the government to do more to support these businesses, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Uh, only time will tell, of course, what the future brings in terms of additional government assistance, but organizations like the CDC and beautyschool.org's website have stepped in to help by compiling materials, resources, new training guides for reopening and safety for spas and salons to follow in the new normal ahead. In addition, it's been a bit tricky in the US as many states have different guidelines, different reopening dates, entirely different reopening levels, mandates, and so on and so forth. So it's been a bit uh, challenging to really make it even across the entire US, but I think we'll continue to see a flexible response from the professional beauty sector until most businesses are back to capacity. You know, I think I speak for many when I say I hope the professional beauty sector experiences a steady recovery. It may be slow, but I don't think professional beauty is going anywhere. This industry has changed and adapted to societal shifts, consumer preferences, and massive global events like war since time immemorial. So I think while some aspects of the salon experience may and will change, the desire and need and market will still be there. And finally, Claire, what could, should the European professional beauty industry look like in 12 months time? I think the industry will look very healthy. As Mallory said, it's not going anywhere. Um, there's a huge demand for, you know, beauty and wellness. So I think the outlook is, is very good. Um, 
it needs to look more diverse. It needs to be more inclusive. That's an absolute given. And it needs to be more sustainable. Um, and there's lots of positives and lots of green shoot, shoots happening to show, to show that that is the case and that that's where we're going. Um, I do think we'll see a lot more eco spas. Um, I am a little concerned that there might be a sort of wellness gap um, that, you know, we're going to have a sort of very quick treatments or very elite luxury treatments and not much in the middle. Um, but on the whole, I think the outlook is, is really, really good. Um, and, and I'm, I'm genuinely really excited. I think we're coming out of this period. We all have so many emotions at the moment, but I think there's a, a cautious optimism, a bit of hope in there. Um, and I think, you know, I'm seeing an industry that has pivoted, that has flexed, that has, you know, reacted well, quickly to all these changes and has actually used it as a catalyst, and, a catalyst for change and to do things differently. So I'm very positive about what the industry is going to look like. And the North American professional beauty industry, Mallory? Well, certainly sustainability and inclusivity will be key going forward to Claire's point. And, you know, we keep discussing whether we're going to see a new so-called roaring 20s in the U.S. in terms of uh, uh, inclination for excess and indulgence. So I think there will be a bit of that. It'll be interesting to see uh, how much staying power it has. But I think there will be a bit of celebration and, and revelry uh, once we get past the, the worst of the pandemic. But, you know, one area where I see a shift is a movement towards more specialized boutique spas and salons for a more intimate experience. I love examples like celebrity manicurist Julie Candelic's new nail boutique in Manhattan. The space is not only more personal to Miss Candelic's experience and style as a manicurist, but it's also more personal in terms of a new type of customer experience, one where there's an exciting dialogue creatively between the stylist and the client, and more time and attention can be paid on each individual, which is something that I think consumers are really looking for. And it also speaks that you know safety um, and security aspect of it, where you don't necessarily want to be surrounded by dozens of people your first time back, maybe just you one-on-one -on -one with a manicurist, really taking the time to go over what kind of style you like. It's going to speak to you and really uh, react positively to you to seek out these services going forward. I also see smaller, more individualized formats working well for salons to explore or incorporate niche or trending services. New York-based salon Masa Kanai, for example, in addition to being a full-service hair salon, also has a separate Japanese-style hair spa within its location. It provides traditional scalp facial services and is booked months out and very much high in demand, to say nothing of the scalp care trend. But, you know, I think it's an interesting way to kind of have these salons within the salons. It allows the salon to, you know, explore new trends, possibly rebrand itself and rebrand its identity and provide a more diverse array of services to clients. And lastly, Claire had mentioned this in the beginning, but I do think we'll see a rise of express services as a lower time and price point commitment speaks to different consumer needs, affordability, busy lifestyles, and the desire to try new things out going forward will all impact consumer decisions. And I think there will be a healthy, a healthy offering of middle of the road uh, treatments for sure. I, I completely take that point of there being a wellness gap between ultra luxe services and these, you know, speed services. But I think also with all this time that salons have had to really, you know, sit back, consider their offerings. I think that 
there will be some really, you know, interesting services going forward in terms of your classic 60 minute offerings. And on that note, I would like to thank my guests, Claire and Mallory, for joining me today and to you for listening.